0: Well, we're going to start a, a new series on James in a couple weeks, but today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. Well, have you ever had to deal with a part of your body um, losing function or breaking down? Uh, perhaps a, an arm or, or leg that stopped working and perhaps had to be in a cast and you could no longer use it. Um, perhaps you've experienced... Uh, Loss of taste or smell this past year. Some of you may have experienced that for a period of time, and that affects things. Perhaps sickness has overwhelmed you, and your whole body was weakened and unable to perform at the same level. Or perhaps kind of inwardly, you've had to deal with um, inabilities and weaknesses in your minds, uh, your mind not working at full capacity, or your emotions being out of whack, or even in your lungs or heart or blood and, and the like, not working fully as they ought to. Um, it's incredible if you think about it, the, the, the number of parts of our bodies and processes of our bodies that God keeps, keeps going on a daily basis, on every second, and, and keeps functioning um, in a productive way. We, we tend to only notice it when something fails, right? when something isn't working right. And then when that happens, our whole body is affected. Other parts have to make up for the loss. So if we, um, if our eyes are, if we're having a hard time, no, if our ears are, are, are suffering, we're having a hard time hearing, we have to start reading people's lips and, and, and drawing closer to, to hear people. If our arms aren't working or one of our arms isn't working, we have to compensate with our back and our knees taking on extra pressure and all of this, the whole The whole body has to kind of compensate for what is lacking. Well, as you may know, this is one of the analogies that God gives us in his word for understanding the church and understanding the relationships in the church. One of the ways that God would have us and calls us to think about the church community is as as a physical body with many different parts like this, Many various diverse parts coming together and contributing and working together for the the good and the health of the whole. And so the health of a church is dependent not just on the leadership, not just on um, solid teaching and doctrine, as important as that is, not just on a lot of people being present and there seeming to be um, momentum or whatever. No, the health of the church is dependent on the various contributions, various functions, uh, giftings, insight, experience, passions, personalities of the whole church coming together for the good of the church and the glory of God. And I would say that this, this analogy that, that we're going to dive into today in First Corinthians 12 is especially relevant in, in our day um, I made the comment a couple of weeks ago that we live in a culture that is, on the, on the one hand, a very individualistic. Um, you know, I don't need anyone else outside of myself. It's completely on me if I want to be influenced by or in relationship with other people. Um, I don't, I don't have any responsibilities necessarily to other people. And then on top of that, our Christian culture has tended to take the good that is family and marriage and sometimes elevated those to the level of an idol where we think that the only necessary relationships we have are in our nuclear families. And so the result of all of this, this individualism and this elevating of family to an idol is, tends to downplay and diminish the role of the church and the relationships that God calls us to in the church. And so we're going to look at this today, see what Scripture, see what God has to say about this, using Paul's words to the Corinthians here in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. Uh, well, I answer three questions. First, what is the reality of the church community? Second, what is the role? What is your role? What is our role in the church community? And third, what is our responsibility? So you got three R's. Sometimes it just lines up like that. Reality, role, responsibility. So we'll start in First Corinthians 12, starting at verse 12. Paul writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So Paul repeats a word here five times. The word is one. And so he's, he's urging the church at Corinth, the church in this town of, of Corinth. Um, and if you know anything about 1 Corinthians, you know that this is a church that was very divided, notoriously had many divisions over many things. Um, and he's urging them to, to be unified. And he does this not by just saying, come on, be unified, but by first alerting them to a fundamental reality. They are one. They are, they belong together. They are members one of another, as he will say in in Romans. And so there's a reality here when you come to faith in Jesus, when you are. When the Holy Spirit comes in you and regenerates you, when you come to faith in Jesus, you, you now belong vertically to Christ, to God in Christ, but also you belong horizontally. You have a new horizontal identity as well with Christ's body or church. This is this is a reality that it just is when you come to Christ. As you are joined to Christ, you are joined to Christ's body, whether you you like that or not. So Paul's call on the church isn't be unified so that you'll be this body. Rather, he says, you are a body. You are one. You belong to one another in a very um, deep and significant and real and eternal sense. And because of that, be unified. Flesh out this oneness. Commit to it. Commit to one another. So Digging into this a little bit more, what is this oneness? What is the source or the the ground of this unity? Well, as Paul says, he uses this analogy of our physical bodies, but then he he transitions and says, so it is with Christ. It is a unity in belonging to Christ through grace. So Christian unity is not not simply about sharing beliefs with one another, sharing Sunday morning Habits with one another, devotional practices, sharing ethics and morals, all those, those things are all connected. But our unity is much deeper than that. Our unity is ultimately about our new identity as blood-bought, beloved children of God, those who have been rescued and, and removed from, from darkness and death and sin and brought into God's glorious light and life and, and His joy. And so as you consider the, the people in this room and the, and the people not here this morning, the people that we gather with as a church, um, just consider this, like, the, the ground of your connection, the ground of your belonging and your unity with one another. We have been purchased with the same precious blood of Christ. We, we live boasting in, making much of the same Lord, the same God. We live with the same hope. We have been given and we are led by the same Spirit. We are one. We we belong to God. We belong to each other. Secondly, what is our role in the church community? So not only is oneness or unity in as, as members of Christ, a reality, once we come to faith in Christ, we, God also gives us a role to play. Uh, he gives every believer a valuable role. And so, in the church, nobody is worthless, on the one hand. On the other hand, no one is self-sufficient. No one is so self-sufficient that they don't need anyone else. So, look here at verses 14 through 20. Paul goes on with this analogy of our physical bodies, but the whole time he has in mind the church body. He uses this term kind of interchangeably. It says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So in Corinth in particular, like I said, there was a number of divisions. One of them was over spiritual gifts Um, It seemed that there was a belief um, um, that certain gifts were more valuable in the church community than others, Um, particularly the gift of tongues, it seemed, uh, occupied this role, or some thought this way. And so those with this gift tended to think more highly of themselves and look down on others. Those without this gift tended to feel inferior or feel insufficient in the church. Similarly, of course, this is This is something we are familiar with as well. We may look at people in the church with certain giftings, certain uh, character, charisma, personalities, roles, opportunities, and feel like what we have is not as valuable, feel like we don't have as a significant role or value to the church. And perhaps we get jealous. Perhaps we just feel insufficient and insecure, and then, and then that leads to we just don't get involved. We don't speak up. We're, we don't have confidence in, in our participation. We don't pursue others because we doubt we have anything valuable to offer. Um, I imagine you can relate to this. I certainly can, and, and I've certainly struggled in being in ministry in various ways, looking at other people in, in ministry and other people in different churches and thinking like, oh, I, I wish I had that sort of character. I wish I had that sort of like, ability to speak or connect with people in that way, um, especially in planting a church. Like, um, I, I can look at other church planters and be like, I, you know, that, that would be a really valuable skill set to have. I don't necessarily have that one and, and feel like I, am, I don't have enough. I, I also think of a gal in our previous church um, who had a, a, a serious um, impediment with her leg and uh, made her have a very significant limp and, and hunch-over posture. And I remember her husband telling a story of when they were on a mission trip to, um, I think I think it was somewhere in South Africa, a third world country, and all the children just from the country there just flocked to this gal. And when asked why, they, they said, she's like us. They, they saw that she understood weakness and, and suffering. And in this, they, they felt that she had something unique to offer to them, and so they just flocked to her. If we all fulfilled the same function within the church, if we all had the same experiences, same strengths and weaknesses, same personalities, giftings, insights, we wouldn't be a very healthy body. Um... Paul rhetorically asks if, if all were a single member, where would the body be? So you can just imagine. I mean, you can kind of play that out in your head. If this bot, like physical body, there was just a whole smattering of eyes, like certain things would w- would function really well, and but it wouldn't be a healthy body. There needs to be a diversity of parts, with each playing its own role. And so some of you have a gift of encouragement and can just encourage people really well and know how to use words and have a delight in doing that. Some of you have a gift of teaching and biblical knowledge and wisdom and ability to communicate that well to others either either one-on-one or in larger settings. Some of you have leadership gifts in various ways. Some of you have administration gifts. Some of you have the ability to to, um, to support, either monetarily or physically, other, other needs and people. Some of you have the ability to just see what needs to be done and quietly do it. And then all of us have unique experiences. I think that also falls under this, this rubric. All of us have unique experiences, some good, some bad, that enable us to relate and empathize and encourage and speak into other people's lives in ways that other people within the church can't. And I think to fully understand this, we need to make sure that we're applying it to a, a local specific church and not just our, part, our, our belonging to the universal body of Christ. We do belong to a universal body of Christ, all true believers throughout time, but To really flesh this unity and oneness out, we have to actually consider real-life people that we see and and are around and that we can get annoyed with and have to fight through that and and learn to love. Most of our ministry opportunities will involve a specific local church community, people that we are actually around and, and with and learning to do life with and committing to so I will just say, you know, very specifically, God, if, if you call this your church home, God has you here for a specific reason. Um, you have value, you have a role to play in this church. Um, Paul says, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So there's a sense, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, this idea that God's sovereignly arranging all of the different parts of, of our church to be a properly functioning, healthy body. So to contribute to the needs of this church as well as the needs in our community. And then Paul shifts gears a little bit. So he's been uh, considering those who feel a sense of insufficiency in, in, insufficiency in the church and want are, are tempted to think that I, I'm not as valuable, I don't really have much value in the church. But then he shifts to the other side and speaks to those who maybe deal with a sense of overestimation and pride in what they have to offer. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and in those parts of the body that we think together. So, here Paul imagines that certain body parts may think that they are more valuable than others and begin to think that they are self-sufficient. But the reality is that the loss of any one body part, as we know, if if you've ever experienced that loss of function or, or health in your body, the loss of any one body part has an effect on the whole body. So, to diminish or disallow or, or downplay the presence and contributions of any member of the church is to diminish the health of the church as a whole. Now, this can happen in a variety of ways. One way that this can happen is when it, it, it's expected that the leadership, the elders, the pastors are the only ones doing ministry in a church. And so the ministry in the church is, is limited to the, the giftings and, and experience and insight of just of the, the pastors. And the gifts of the whole church and the interactions and, and the, the insight and experiences of the whole church are not given a context to to be fleshed out. This is not a healthy situation. This is not how God views the church where the leadership does all the ministry. God's view of the church is that we all, we all have a valuable role to play in, within the church body. This also might look like certain types of people being dismissed or ignored as less valuable or less integral to the life of the church. So children, the elderly, women, the socially awkward, those with different political leanings than us, those with different sins than us and temptations. God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. And so none of us is so mature and so wise that we don't need others. No, none of us is so godly and faithful on our own that we don't need other saints to, to help us out along the way. None of us is so gifted that the work of the church can just ride on our backs, including pastors. The the work of the church, the the, the work of ministry is the, the calling and responsibility of the whole church. So what this means is that the more members who are actively engaging in community, loving as they've been loved, serving and ministering in their unique way, Simply being present and engaged and being known within the church, the healthier of a church we become. The opposite is also true. When we separate ourselves from community, when we view church simply in uh, consumeristic ways, what's in it for me, what can I get, and don't give anything in return, the church suffers. And this leads to the last question. What is our responsibility in the church community? So lest we understand in talking about value and role, lest we misunderstand what it means, you know, there's a temptation to respond, especially in our day with my rights, I have value and role, show them to me. Lest we forget that our belonging in the church is all by grace in the first place. We need to consider that we have responsibilities, that God calls us to certain things, that God calls us to a new way of living. And what is this? Well, the sum of our responsibility is Christ-like love. It can be summed up in Christ-like love for one another. Uh, As Jesus told his disciples, love one another as, as I have loved you, which is a Impossible calling to, to do, right? If we are to love one another as Christ has loved us. But it is what we are called to, is what his spirit empowers us to, is what we increasingly desire to do as he works on us. So look at now chapter 13, 1 Corinthians. Paul begins to speak of this love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So just after explaining the unique and valuable roles that God has distributed to members of the church, the giftings that God gives for the benefit of the church. Paul states emphatically that these very giftings and roles are nothing, actually worse than nothing, if there is not love for one another. So, I mean, just to paraphrase him, it's helpful to p- kind of put this in our own, our own um, words. Let, let's say you have wonderful experiences with God in, in prayer and worship. Your personal devotional life is off the charts your your heart is, is alive with your time with God. If you don't love your brothers and sisters, Paul says you're like a little king kid banging on a drum over and, over and over and over and over again and you just won't stop. Or let's say you're the most doctrinally knowledgeable person in the church. You know your Bible front and back. You can you are the most qualified to teach any any class or or lesson in the church. Paul says, if you don't have love, it is for nothing. Or let's say you are extremely selfless, willing to give yourself up for for others, serve the poor and needy regularly, sacrifice yourself. But If you don't have love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, even if you're doing all of this outward activity that can appear very loving, if you don't have love, you have gained nothing. And so what Paul is saying is that our unique contribution and role in the church community isn't the end of the story. To put it in another way, it's not all about you. No matter how gifted you are, no matter how much God has maybe worked in your life and met with you and you feel close to God, if you don't have love, it is nothing. Earlier in this chapter, Paul said, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So we don't exist only for ourselves. We exist for, and God is working in us for the good of the rest of the church and for His glory. Those who have been loved so generously and sacrificially by Christ, we are called and motivated and empowered by His Spirit to love Him in return and love our fellow brothers and sisters. God calls us to serve one another, submit to one another, and sacrifice for one another. Not just just out of our own self-will, but out of the power of His Spirit inside of us and motivated by His love for us. And so, Paul Paul describes this love in a little more detail. These are the last verses we'll look at, starting at verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, it's not hard to see how this kind of love, this fleshing out of love is extremely relevant in church community. If you've been in a church community for any length of time, if you are committing to the reality of oneness, of belonging to one another, being a part of one another's lives for any length of time, you will be tempted. There will be opportunities to be envious and boastful and arrogant and rude and insist on your own way and irritable and resentful and and all of this. There will be temptations to hit eject on, on relationships when they get hard, when they're not satisfying us. But in the church, as Christians, we have the most powerful motivation to love and to continue to love that there is. As we look at Christ and we consider his love for us, we have the motivation to not need to assert our rights all the time, to not use others just merely for our own ends, to not rely on others' approval and and respect all the time. God's love for us, demonstrated on the cross and given to us by his Spirit, should empower us and motivate us to serve and submit to one another Truly love one another, no matter what's in it for us. Christ's love compels us. And I think if this is the reality of what God is calling us to in Christian community, in the church, it should be, one of the things that should be readily obvious is that gathering for an hour and a half Sunday mornings cannot be the sum total of our involvement in one another's lives. What we do on Sunday mornings is important, don't get me wrong, but all that we are called to be and to do as a church cannot fit into this time. All of the roles and responsibilities, the the fleshing out of unity, the ministering to one another, the loving one another with a Christ-like love cannot happen in this time and this context alone. Now, I don't mean this as a guilt trip just to, like, get busier and get more involved. Uh, I don't think that the only way to do this is just doing everything that the church puts before you. We, as elders, try to encourage and facilitate this through what we offer, but there are many ways to pursue this and flesh this out. Um, But I do intend to lay scripture before you and encourage you to notice that if you are a Christian, your identity is not only with relationship to Christ vertically, but also with relationship to one another horizontally. And within the local outpost of His church that He has put you in, you have a role to play, and you have responsibilities to, to pursue. And the health of the church as a whole is, to some degree, dependent on each of us doing that. But more than that, or in addition to that, your own spiritual health is also dependent on you not being detached or above or apart from the church com- community, but staying connected to it. So I would encourage you to flesh out this unity and membership in the church. Um, some of the ways that you can do this, initiate a relationship with somebody Grab coffee. Start reading a book with someone. Invite a family or individual over to your home. Go out to, go out to lunch. Find a mentor. Find someone to mentor you. Find someone to mentor. Attend some of the things that we offer, the men's and women's studies. Uh, look for opportunities in, to help serve in kids, in, in music, and in sound, in youth group, in middles. Love people by simply initiating conversation, asking good questions, listening well, praying for people, asking how you can pray. But in all this, remember that the source and ground and root of our love for one another is Christ and and the Spirit in us. So keep your eyes on the cross, keep your eyes on Christ, and let Christ's love compel you in all things. Let's pray.